and if you want to blame someone, blame it on me. Uh, I think it's a good idea. Our numbers go down uh, during the summer, and probably not everyone from Second Balance will come into this service, and some of you will be gone, but it will create a really exciting, I think, balanced service. The community will be good. Uh, the singing will be good. And uh, there are always some challenges when we do this, but the challenges aren't necessarily with you all because you're here. Your time is not changing. You can go from here to your class or go from here to your home or go from here to wherever you may be going and your schedule won't change. But just pray and, and we don't know if it's going to work well, but I think it's worth a try. And sometimes it's good just to mix things up a little bit. This past week, Warren Wendell Wiersbe went home to be with the Lord. The great Bible teacher who was a dear friend of this church. He and Dr. Sugden were extremely close. They would travel together. They would write together. And I dare say that Dr. Wiersbe's encouragement in the life of Dr. Sugden helped him, uh, encouraged him when he might have been down, gave him wisdom when he needed help. And it was a rich blessing to this church. And through the transition in the years from Dr. Sugden passing away, Dr. Worsby stayed connected because of Mrs. Sugden and because of his love for this church. He got to the place physically where he could no longer travel. Otherwise, we would have had him speaking here every year. Twice even every year. I would have let him preach every Sunday if he would just to hear him. What a great man of God. And we thank God for that rich gift to the church, but even more particular, the rich gift that we received as a church through his ministry. So pray for his family. I don't know any details. I suppose you could find those online as quickly as anyone else. But I just wanted to acknowledge the great impact that that man of God had on our assembly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, good gifts come from you and one of the greatest gifts we have ever received as a church is the ministry of Dr. Wiersbe. We pray for his family. We pray that he being dead will continue to speak, that his 150 plus books will continue to stir pastors and guide congregations and lead people to Christ, not only to find him by faith but to honor him in life. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. What is your greatest need? Some of you would say to me, my greatest need is money. <laughs> Someone may, may say, my greatest need is a wife. My greatest need is a job. Well, in the physical realm, those are important desires and needs, but your greatest need would be things like air. That's kind of basic. Water. In fact, you can't say you have one greatest need physically. You have several greatest needs. If I'm talking to you spiritually, you have several great needs. They're found in the person of Jesus Christ. You need your sins forgiven. You need a perfect righteousness to get into heaven because the requirement to get into heaven is perfection and you and I are not perfect. What about Christians? You're a believer, are you? 
What's your greatest need? And you might come back to me with several. But let me tell you what the Apostle Paul said when he was talking to Timothy. The young man who was going to take over for Paul's ministry after he left this earth. He said, Timothy, your greatest need is endurance. I think it's the book of Hebrews that says you have need of patience. That's how the old King James translates it. But the newer translations use the word patient endurance. You have need of endurance. As you open your Bibles this morning to the second letter of Paul to Timothy, we simply call it 2 Timothy, we are reminded, having been away for a few weeks, that this is Paul's last will and testament. Paul is about ready to die, and he writes his last words to the man who's going to replace him. A quick look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 shows that the word endure is repeated three times. Verse 3, verse 10, and verse 12. Endure. Um, some of this is review. Uh, we notice in verse 3, for instance, that uh, Paul says to Timothy, I want you to endure hardship. And he gives him five uh, graphic pictures of what it's like to endure. Actually, three are analogies and two are biographies. So he says, endure hardship, number one, like a good soldier. Napoleon Bonaparte said, courage is only the second virtue in a soldier. The first is endurance of fatigue. A good soldier must endure. Secondly, you have the picture of the accomplished athlete. We are to run the race, compete, verse 5, like an athlete looking to gain the crown. And when you think about an athlete running and this whole idea of endurance, endurance is the fortitude to continue on against great difficulties and opposition. Endurance is the fortitude, the determination to keep going when everything outside of you is trying to stop you and many things inside of you uh, is telling you to give up and quit. An athlete needs to learn that endurance is not just physical bodily strength, but it's strength of spirit. I like what one coach said to his runner, when your legs get tired, run with your heart. Because endurance is both physical and mental, right? And someone might be weaker than you physically, but stronger than you mentally. And their endurance in some areas will far outlast your own. Endurance is hope that will not let go, including the mental and the physical and the spiritual. The third analogy is to work like a farmer, a hardworking farmer. He has to endure, plowing up the land, Watering the crops, sowing the crops, hoping that they get watered, watering them, waiting for a harvest. He's got to endure a lot. But Paul doesn't stop there. Verse 8, he says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. We kind of used that section of scripture as we came into Easter, and well, we should. But the context is Jesus enduring, right? He had to endure the cross. 
Paul is driving home a point that nothing good will happen without some degree of human endurance. And then Paul uses the second biography, his own life. The mighty apostle Paul says in verse 9, this is my gospel, verse 8, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained, chained like a criminal. Paul is enduring everything for the faith. So do you get the pictures? It's the soldier, the good soldier. It's the com uh, competitive athlete. It is the hardworking farmer. It is our suffering savior. It is the mighty apostle. Everyone has to endure. So, Timothy, understand this. This is one of your greatest needs, especially since you're so given to being timid. So Paul is chained. Even though he's a Roman citizen, even though he's innocent, he's chained like a criminal. The only other time in the whole New Testament where this Greek word is used, this particular word, chained, is talking about the criminals that were chained when Jesus was crucified. You're not defeated when you lose, Paul. You're defeated when you quit. So don't quit. You may lose a battle or two, but don't quit. Endurance is hope that will not let go. And we need endurance. So the Apostle Paul gives us these pictures of endurance, but he doesn't stop there. He tells us the great reason for endurance. And I love the contrast here. I am chained, verse 9, like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. What does that mean? It's not limited. It's not confined. So Paul's thrown into a Roman prison, but what does he do? He speaks the word of God to the soldiers and they get saved. And so we read in the New Testament in Paul's letters that there are members of Caesar's household that are now believers because Paul was a prisoner and he kept sharing the gospel and you cannot confine the word of God. Let Saudi Arabia say that they are a closed country to the gospel and I tell you the word of God will still get through because the word of God is not bound. And yet the way the word of God is spread is through endurance. Paul hints at that in verse 10. He says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. So the word of God is not chained. And it's going to continue to go out as we endure and suffer for sharing the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. He says here that the doctrine of election does not dispense with the necessity of preaching the good news. In fact, it is essential that the word of God be preached so that God's people will believe and come in. It is both God's selection of man and man's suffering for the pro proclamation of the gospel that the Lord uses. And Paul is telling Timothy, if you, the word of God is not chained, but if you want to get the word out there, you're going to have to suffer. 
I endure everything so that I can minister the word of God to those who are going to embrace it and believe. It was Viktor Frankl who said, what is to give light must endure burning. If a candle is going to give light, it must lose its wax. If a match is going to give light, it must lose its wood. If a Christian is going to give light, they must endure. So that's the reason that we endure so the message of the gospel will get out. And then thirdly, Paul says this. Verse 11, this is a trustworthy statement. And by the way, this is mentioned five different times in Paul's writing, this unique formula. This is a trustworthy saying, worthy of all acceptation, it says in the old King James. And here's one of them. If we die with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, there's the glorious future for those who endure. We'll also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. Verse 13, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now let me just organize that a little for us this morning. There are four statements here. There are actually couplets. There are two pairs of couplets, all starting with the word if. This is a well-known saying. It's a popular saying. It could be an ancient hymn. It could be one of their creeds, or it simply could be the popular message that Paul would preach so often he was known for. But two couplets, epigrams, if you will. The first two refer to those who are going to endure, those who are going to suffer, those who will remain true. So of them it is said, if we died with him, we will also live with him. In context, the dying means the suffering. It's probably dying to self. It's not so much a theological term, dying in Christ. It's the fact that we are dying to self. Paul says, I die daily. Jesus said, take up your cross daily. We die to self and we suffer. So if we die with him as he died, we'll also eventually live with him in glory. If we endure... Now here the word enduring is the same as the word dying. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. And that's the same thing as living with him. The glorious future for those who die to self and endure for the sake of Jesus Christ to get the message of the gospel out. He says they have a glorious future with him in heaven forever. And we shall reign with him. One of the great themes throughout the book of the revelation. But notice the last two, the last couplet. This refers to those who do not die to self and endure. If we disown him, he will what? He will disown us. Jesus said, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus simply says, if you deny me, I will deny you. And in the second case, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, 
for he cannot disown himself. Because these are a couplet, because they go together, the second thing is saying the same as the first thing said. Now, some people translate it like this. If we are faithless, he'll still be true to us. But no, no. What it says is, if we deny him, he denies us. If we are faithless, he's still faithful to his promises. We may not be faithful to our promises, but he will be faithful to his promises. And his promises include, if you deny me, I will deny you. Get the picture? They're saying the same thing. So the glorious future for those who die to self and live for Christ. Paul has been hammering home one message to young Timothy, and it started back in chapter 1, and now it takes most of chapter 2, and it is this. Timothy, understand that you must join in my suffering if you are going to be a minister, an instrument of the gospel message. All of these analogies and the biography of my own life and the life of Jesus insist that blessing comes through trial. The crown comes after the cross. Fruit comes from toil. Life comes from death. Glory comes from suffering. This is a maxim in the Christian life. This is a proverb. It cannot change. You and I need to endure. Have you felt like giving up this week? I have. I had a couple days. I just wanted to give up. If you would have asked me on one of those days, what's the message this Sunday morning? I might have said, I'm not sure I'm even going to be there. You ever feel that way? And then I turned to 2 Timothy, and God says, endure, you idiot. Put your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. Get our eyes back on Christ. Sometimes we need a human example, though, to encourage us. And this week, I've been studying the biography of a man who endured much for the cause of Christ. His name is David Livingston, a missionary to Africa in the 1800s. David Livingston prayed this prayer, Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden upon me, only sustain me. And sever any tie that binds except the tie that binds me to your heart and to your service. What a great prayer. I don't know about you, but that's not an easy prayer to pray. But for those who would endure, it's an important prayer. David Livingston was born March 19, 1813. His parents were extremely poor, but his dad was a godly Presbyterian layman. They used to have family devotions every morning at 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. for a full hour. By the age of nine, David Livingston had memorized Psalm 119. 
And if you don't realize it, that's the longest chapter in the Bible with about, what, 176 verses. But he wasn't a Christian yet. He was a diligent young man. After family devotions, he would go to work because he had to quit school at nine to make some money to help feed his family. He would go to school immediately and then work all the way till 8 p.m. Then he would leave work and go to night school until 10 p.m. And then he would come home and study until midnight until his mom would force him to go to bed. At the age of 19, he gave his heart to Christ and wanted to be a medical missionary to China. He went to seminary to study, <clears throat> to be a missionary and to study medicine. But China was a closed country during those years because of the civil unrest and the opium wars that were at their height. David said, Lord, you promised to lead and guide me if I gave my life to you. I've studied all these years. Has it been in vain? But the Lord seemed to say to him, David, a door is closed and I have closed it. But I have other plans for you. And he remembered his prayer. Lord, send me anywhere. Only go with me. It was about this time that he was able to hear and meet a very godly man by the name of Robert Moffat. Robert Moffat was a great missionary, actually to China and then to Africa. He had penetrated the coastal regions of Af Africa with the gospel like no one ever had. He was speaking in Scotland on a speaking tour, and David went to hear this man every chance he got. After one of the meetings, David said to Robert Moffat, Do you think the Lord could use me in Africa? Robert Moffat said, yes, David, particularly if you're willing to go into the interior. And then he made this statement that now has become famous. Robert Moffat said, when I'm on the coast of Africa, sometime I have seen in the early morning light the smoke of a thousand villages rising up to the sky with no missionary to share the good news of Jesus. David closed his eyes and saw the smoke of a thousand villages without Christ, without light. And he said, Lord, Africa? Remember, he prayed, Lord, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Africa it was. David was accepted by the missionary society to go to Africa. And one bleak morning, he led family devotions for the last time. His father walked with him an hour's walk down to the docks to bid his son goodbye as he sailed off to Africa. For David had prayed, sever any tie that binds. Africa was a great place of suffering during those days. David suffered hunger when his food supply ran out, thirst when his water supply ran out. The Turks had taken over the land and they were angry and hostile. It was during the devilish days of the slave trade and it is yet to be written how much David did to free African slaves before they ever came to Europe or America. He faced wild beasts as well. And one particular time near their compound, a group of lions attacked the cattle. 
people were shooting the lions and trying to get them off their food source. David was there. I don't know exactly if he had been shooting, but he walked around a bush and a lion that had been wounded pounced out on him and grabbed onto his left shoulders with his mighty jaws. And there was this hideous crunching sound as the lion's jaws came down upon David's shoulder. One of David's faithful attendants raised his rifle, shot the lion. That distracted the lion. He dropped David's body, came after the attendant, and finally the shots in the lion took effect and he fell dead. David was injured for the rest of his life. It was extremely painful. He couldn't move his hand even up to his left shoulder, and for most of his life that left arm was just limp. Time to quit, I would say. I'm coming back home to Lansing. I'll be a hero. Survived a lion attack. <laughs> David kept going on. The interior to the Africa was almost inaccessible. The hardships incredible. He went back after this bout with the lion to the compound that was on the shore in the city of Kuruman. And while he was there, Robert Moffat had come with his family. And so they had a great reunion, and Robert was able to encourage David, but he was more encouraged not by Robert Moffat, but by his eldest daughter, Mary. Soon there was a wonderful romance that developed, and courtship followed in marriage after that. And Mary Moffat exchanged one famous missionary name, Moffat, for another famous missionary name, Livingston. And together, she had the same desire to reach the people in Africa, not just on the coast, but to plunge into the interior. They built a home. They settled down. They had children. But they would wake up in the morning and see the smoke of a thousand villages without light and without Christ, and they kept pressing further on into the interior. They crossed the Kalahari Desert had to come back because they ran out of supplies returning to their camp it was there one of their children got a fever and died David prayed Lord lay any burden on my heart only sustain me the time came for the children to go to school. There were no good school systems in Africa. So Mary took the children all the way back to Scotland. It was only to be a year. And David would finish up his task and return to Scotland and rejoin his family. But the one year turned into two and the two four and the four into five years. Separated from his family. Even on the mission field, gossip is healthy. People couldn't understand any other reason for a woman to leave her husband and take her children back home to another country unless there was a problem in their marriage. So the word, vicious rumors, began to spread. The Moffats are having trouble. Sometimes the things you endure don't come from a lion. They come from loved ones with vicious words. 
I wish you could read David's diary at this time where he discusses his loneliness. One, one time he wrote a, a letter to Mary. It was a letter that expressed his heart. He said, my dearest Mary, there is no face I now see compared to that sunburned face that often greeted me with its kind looks. Take the children around you and hug them for me. And tell them I have left them for the love of Jesus and they must love him too. He continued his ministry for many years. He wrote in his diary, I will go anywhere provided it is forward. I'm committed to making a path into the interior. My duty is not to swerve one hair's breadth from my calling, the calling that God has given me. My greatest desire is to live as closely to Jesus as I can. He finally did come home after 17 years on the field. He was filled with excitement as he came to see his family. He was traveling on the ocean looking forward to that homestead in his mind's eye he could see the loving faces that would greet him when he got there and when he got into uh, his own city of Blantyre Scotland and went into his family home it was empty for 10 days before he arrived his father had died and been buried sever any tie that binds save the tie that binds me to your heart But his wife was there and his children and his mother and he told them the stories of the churches that had been planted and the African souls that heard the gospel and believed. There was no problem between David and Mary. In fact, it's one of the greatest love stories ever told. Mary wrote this poem, a poem upon David's arrival. A hundred thousand welcomes, how my heart is gushing o'er, with a love and joy and wonder, thus to see your face once more. How did I live without you these long, long years of woe? It seems as if t'would kill me to be parted from you now. You'll never leave me, darling. There's a promise in your eye. I may tend you while I'm living. You may watch me when I die. And if by... And if and if death but kindly lead me to the blessed home on high, what a hundred thousand welcomes will await you in the sky. <laughs> David spoke at the University of Glasgow. He had a tour. He was sharing of his missionary exploits. There was a custom at the university for the underclassmen to heckle every speaker. <laughs> They would hoot and holler and throw things and make noise and ignore them. And then this man, David Livingston, came. They didn't know much about him except he was a famous explorer. That's what most people think. The missionary was lost in the adventures of his exploration. He walked onto the platform with a gait slow and deliberate. His face, a dark brown leather from spending so many years in the hot African sun. Deep creases in his cheeks from the many fevers he had endured. Time and time again, his left arm hanging down limply to the side from the lion attack. And everyone knew 
that here was a man of God who had suffered much for his master, and there was no noise in the auditorium that day. They listened in rapt attention. And after he told them about the explorations, about the churches that were planted and the African souls that came to Christ, he said to the students, should I tell you what supported me through all these years of exile among people whose language I could not understand and whose attitude toward me was always uncertain and even hostile? It was this, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's taken from Matthew chapter 28, right? Go into all the world and make disciples, preach the gospel to every creature, teach them all the things I've taught you, and here's the promise given to those who share the good news. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. David's famous quote that comes out of that is this. I believe God's word because it is the word of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred honor. So there's the end to it. He believed the Bible with all of his heart and embraced Christ as his Savior and went forward with the wonderful truth of Scripture. After a period of time, Mary came to work by his side. People watched the kids at home. And she finally joined her husband back in the pursuit and the labors that she so dearly loved, for she had a passion for the Africans. And side by side, they worked together for a period of about two months. Mary got sick with a fever. Remember, her husband's a medical missionary. He did everything he could to save her. He stayed up night after night, wiping her brow with a damp cloth. But the medications did not help. Her symptoms became alarming. She went into a coma. And on a rough bed of wooden box crates, with a pitiful mattress laid over it, Mary passed away and slipped into eternity. And this man who had faced loneliness in Africa and dealt with dangerous people and wild animals sat by her bedside and wept like a child. Sever any tie that binds. They dug her grave under a giant boabob tree, laid that precious body to rest, and when the grave was filled with dirt, David laid his body over that sacred place and said, I loved you. I said I loved you when I married you. And the longer I lived with you, the more I loved you. God pity the poor children. I now feel willing to die being left alone by the one I loved most on the earth. What sustained him? Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We fast forward because of time to March 19, 1872. It was David's 59th birthday. After many travels and experiences in this famous interview with Henry Stanley, an American journalist, David wrote in his diary this wonderful prayer, my Jesus, my King, my life, my all. I again dedicate my whole self to thee. Accept me and grant, O gracious Father, that ere this year is gone, I may finish my task in Jesus' name. Amen. 
so be it. A year later, David had to pull in the notches of his belt to ease the hunger pains. The hard maize he was eating, chewing with, chewing on, had loosened his teeth and most of them had dropped out. His body was broken and covered with boils from his head to his toe. His faithful assistants now, who had been with him the whole time in Africa, were carrying him on their back. They would stop when the pain was too great and then after rest pick him up and take him on further on. Maybe only going a half mile a day, but going to another village where the smoke had testimony of a gospel never preached. But then one day they built a little hut. They could go no further. It had a grass roof and a mud floor and a cot in the corner for David. One night one of his attendants was concerned for him. He looked in and found that David had slipped out of bed and was on his knees praying. And when the sun came up, they called for him for breakfast, but there was no answer. They looked in and he was still on his knees. They rushed to his side and touched his cheek and it was cold. For David had gone into the presence of the Lord on his knees in prayer. Which might be the greatest testimony of all. That the Lord kept his word and was with David everywhere he went. He had traveled over 29,000 miles in Africa, mostly on foot. Crossed that great continent three times from east to west. And everywhere he left the footprints of the cross. Embracing the simple promise, go, and I am with you always. That's endurance. But God hasn't called you to go to Africa, most of you. But God has called you to endure, to be faithful, to hang in there, to see Christ, to embrace his promise, to overcome the difficulties. Once someone asked him, why did you sacrifice so much spending your life in Africa all of those years? And he said, sacrifice? People talk of sacrifice, the sacrifice I made in spending so much of my life in Africa. But can it be called a sacrifice, which is simply paying back a small part of the great debt I owe to God, a debt which I can never repay? If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor... How can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? It is emphatically no sacrifice. It is a privilege. He died at the age of 60, spending his life enduring so much so that others could hear the gospel. Could we say sever any tie? Except the tie that binds me to your heart. I want to encourage my own soul today not to give up. And I hope in some way you will be encouraged too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, lift up our hearts to heaven and help us to see Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Help us to see what he endured, and may we be like him. 
May we die daily and passionately seek to share the good news of Christ to our neighbors and to our friends and to our loved ones. Lord, may we remember that as we consider Jesus, that's the only hope of avoiding discouragement. If we want to be kept from being faint-hearted and weary, think about his patience. Think about what he endured from sinful men in such terrible ways at the cross. Oh Lord, give us the strength of the Spirit to go on for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.